Nice to throw Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins each and every day. How is it going, everybody? It is game day, a Thursday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it is game day. The preview is in the can. You can download and listen to that podcast wherever you get your podcast from, the Wednesday edition of Drive Time. And today, we're going to change it up a little bit as we'll flash back with a pair of hosts from our own Miami Dolphins podcast network. That's right, it's Crossover Thursday here. We're going to welcome in OJ Juice McDuffie and Seth Levitt of the Fish Tank Podcast and talk some Dolphins Jags memories and a whole lot more. All of that and more on this Thursday, September the 24th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And in a short week, we have the injury report from Wednesday available back on the previous podcast as well as MiamiDolphins.com. But we'll have inactives later today up on MiamiDolphins.com for game day. Dolphins at Jaguars at 8.15 on NFL Network, a big game here in primetime for your Miami Dolphins. And with that, let's go ahead and turn over now to my guests. They host the Fish Tank Podcast. And if you guys haven't heard the Fish Tank Podcast, what are you doing? Because this is a Miami Dolphins fan's essentially their own private tour through Dolphins history, Dolphins lore, and so many good inside stories from beat reporters, people that worked for the team, players, obviously. So many people connected to this Miami Dolphins organization have done the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice, and they always find a way to get the best stories out of those guys. It's almost like a competition at this point where guys want to come into the Fish Tank and beat the previous guy's episode with download numbers and stories and overall engagements. So it's a lot of fun. Check out the Fish Tank podcast, and I am thrilled now to go ahead and welcome in Seth Levitt and OJ McDuffie. And normally they ask you to dive in, but today I'm going to ask them to buckle up and ride shotgun here and fire up that engine with us because the fish tank is invading drive time. I've got OJ McDuffie. I've got Seth Levitt. What's up, boys? What's up, Travis? What's happening? I got to stop doing that where I give you guys both the opportunity to talk. I got to narrow it down and tell you, (laughs) all right, you're up this time because you guys are, are like just in sync with that. What's going on, Travis? So let's go ahead and, uh, you know, we got you back on here today to help us look back at, I'm not going to call it a rivalry because the only real memorable game in this Dolphins-Jacksonville or Jaguars, you know, matchup, it kind of went the wrong way on us. But let's go ahead and talk some Dolphins-Jags. Kinda, ahead. There was no kind of, Travis. Yeah, yeah, a little <laughs> more no than a little bit. <laughs> but let's, let's talk some Dolphins-Jags ahead of tonight's Thursday night football kickoff. And Juice, you played Jacksonville twice in your career, and one of those two was the rough one. But I want to start first with Seth, because you and I, Seth, were kind of BSing off air a little bit, and I told you, you know how we have those like insignificant moments in our lives that just, for whatever reason, stick with you? I'm not really sure why, but I was a youngin' back in those days, back in 1999, and the game was on a Saturday in January, and that was basketball season for a 12-year-old Travis. So we're finishing up a game. And you know, I probably dropped a 20 spot on somebody in a victory. No big deal. <laughs> but all I cared about that day, despite the W on the basketball on the basketball court, was getting home for Dolphins football, Dolphins playoff football. So after my coach breaks us down after the game, I finish up with a, and who's ready to go watch the Dolphins crush the Jaguars? And I think my teammates' reaction was a bit of foreshadowing because they were just as confused as I was when I got home and saw the halftime score. But Seth, 
This is all a long-winded way to get to the speech that you saw with a little more gravitas on Friday before that game. Before the playoff game. Correct, yeah, yeah, that was so, you know, let me let me begin by saying that that um, a Jimmy Johnson speech probably had a different impact on me than it did OJ. And, and that's OK for this conversation. But I remember and I don't know if you remember that juice, you know, we'd have the Friday practice and, and Jimmy would do the everybody up. And and uh, in those days, even as PR guys, we'd be able to get on the field. And I, you know, I wouldn't be the first guy in there, but we were close <laughs> enough where we could hear what was being discussed and and he'd have the all up and. And, and I remember it. I remember Coach saying, he goes, you know, he goes, you guys have seen what we've seen. You've watched the film. You've looked at it all week. We know exactly who they are. We're going to go up there and kick their ass. And he said this. And, I, like, I was ready to go run down and, and you know, be a wedge buster, Juice. Like, I, I believed. I was like, well, I wasn't in there watching film, but Coach says it. And everybody was all hyped up that we were going to go in there and, and beat the heck out of these guys. Yeah. Apparently he was watching a different film or something, man. I don't know because it, it, it obviously we know what happened after that. And it was a, a rough day for a lot of different reasons. But I, I just remember I called, you know, my, my stepdad and my little brother drove up to Jacksonville and they went to the game. And, and a lot of people did because it was, you know, it was a playoff game in, in state, even though it was a road game. And, and I told them that it was going to be a great day because that's what I heard on that practice field that Friday. And, um, it just didn't work out that way. You had to come back the same way I had to come back to my uh, sixth grade basketball team and say, well, guys, I guess I was wrong on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess with my family. No, I had to get back on that plane and, and yeah. all of us looking at each other. And, you know, the next day Jimmy's clearing out his office. And, and obviously it was the last game that we'd ever see Dan Marino suit up in, in a Dolphins uniform and, and, um, and a lot of other guys. And so it was, um, it was a rough way to go out. Well, that's, that's where I want to get to Juice here and ask him because obviously, you know, I love the quote that Seth, you always use, if you're the toughest guy, or if Dan Marino says you're the toughest guy he's ever played with, that's as high of honor as you can get. And so you and Dan, obviously, Juice, had a pretty close relationship. What was that like in that game? Like, did he go into that game knowing this was possibly his last run? And, like, just talk about Dan Marino and the, and the end of the run there in 99. No, I tell you, man, let's, let's, if we backtrack a little bit, think about it. We played – the second game in Seattle the week before, you know, all the way on the other coast, um, we were already a banged up team at that point. I know my foot was already, you know, I'd already gone through the struggles with my foot and I actually iced my foot all the way back from Seattle for six hours straight just to stop the swelling, man. It felt like I had a heartbeat in it. And then we played that first Saturday game, you know, the following week, you know, against Jacksonville. And they had already been sitting home for a while. And we, I know what, what Seth's talking about, what Coach was saying the night before, but we were such a banged-up team at that point. And no excuses. Jacksonville was better than us. I mean, I, there's, there's no excuse for us losing. We should never lose that bad. Jacksonville was a better football team than us. But I thought, for me personally, I thought we got a shoulder in the stick. You give us a late game on Sunday, early game on Saturday, going across country. Um, you know, I think that the NFL could have done us a, a couple of favors maybe. And plus, these old guys, we could, we could have used another day or at least six more hours, you know, of rest. Um, but, man, we were so – we weren't even a step behind Jacksonville that day. We were steps behind them. And when I saw our defense not able to catch up and make tackles, I knew it was going to be a long day, you know, and we knew that they were fresh and, you know, trying to be the, the Kings of the, of Florida. Um, and man, when I saw guys running by some of our best defenders, it was going to be a long day. I, I thought it was 21, nothing before I even got my helmets, what it felt like, 
you know, and it was, uh, it was, a, it, yeah, it was, it was a tough one, man. It really was a tough one. And, and by no means, I feel that that was going to be Danny's last game. And, you know, by halftime, it felt like it was all of our last game. And when you talk about that short week, I know six days is, you know, people say, well, it's only one day, but I mean, that cuts into the entire routine, right? Because a football player is the most regimented profession in all in the entire world, as far as I'm concerned. Everything is down to the minute, down to the day. So when you lose that day, like, what does that look like for a player? Yeah, you know, and I feel sorry for the guys that do the Sunday, Thursday thing now. There's no way you're ready to go. And for a guy like myself, especially at that point, I'm not even healthy enough to even play, you know, until probably that Thursday, Thursday night, Friday morning. So to even try to get ready for a Saturday afternoon game is rough. Like I say, no excuses, but, I mean, the body, take, it takes a long time, man, for these guys. And that West Coast trip, imagine the people don't even play a game that go from the West Coast to the East Coast, you know, and how long it takes their bodies to get back to normal. And they, don't even, they haven't even played a game. You know, they haven't been getting beat up, like, you know, for three hours straight. So it, it, was, it was rough. It really was. But, you know, I mean, that's the way the scales were panned out. And, uh, you know, we should have shown up and, and, and showed out better than what we did. Seth, you mentioned the plane ride back home. Did you even say a word to anybody that day? Oh, you learn real quick as a PR guy that, you know, you keep your mouth shut, you know, <laughs> even after wins. And and so the other thing a lot of folks may not know, and, and I don't know how different it might be now, but um, we what, the way we did things, there's a press release that comes out the next morning, and it has all the statistics from the game, all the different stats, all the things we see Brett do, those great notes and what have you, and so each of us, Harvey, Neil, myself, we all had our own role and responsibility in that press release. And Neil would write the bulk of the release, and I had certain stats that I kept. And so you'd get on the you get on the uh, the plane, and you break out your laptop, and, and you start working. Um, and you know, Jacksonville to here is not is a much shorter flight. Thank than goodness. Than Thank goodness. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was great to get home and, and have it all be done. Um, but, but for me, uh, and I don't remember specifically, but I imagine on a short trip like that, we might've even gone into the office afterwards because Monday morning, uh, or Sunday morning in that case gets there in a hurry, particularly when it's the last game of the season. And so much was about to change for this franchise in that moment. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, Brett, one of our PR guys here currently with the Miami dolphins. He was telling me that this week on short week, there, there's some all nighters in there because you have to get the game release out for post game for Buffalo. And then the, the pregame for Jacksonville, a lot of work you guys do up there. And it's, it's definitely appreciated by the rest of us in the organization. Now let's go ahead and transition to another game. But once again, it's, it's another loss, guys. I don't. I mean, can we talk about some wins here, I know. Travis? Come you, on, man. You go back to this Jack, like, You look at these these games and like the wins we have were recent. They were late in the season. They were non postseason impacting games. It's just there's not a lot there. It's the Jags got four. We got three on them right now. But the, I want to go back to the game that Juice did play on Monday night. And I, I was always curious about this, kind of more of a general question about Dolphins and Jaguars. And you mentioned, Seth, that, you know, the family had the in-state rivalry, a playoff game. There was some hype around that, you know, that big loss uh, in that playoff game back in 99. But was there a sense juice for you guys as players of like an in-state pride? Or was, you know, does a rivalry have to be developed over time? Yeah, I think it has to be developed over time. We didn't we didn't think much of what, what Jacksonville was doing, you know, different division, uh, you know, north part of the state. You know, we, we were so consumed with you know with jets indianapolis at that point you know the bills the patriots that you know those are our main concerns um you know and we so we didn't we didn't think much about jacks we knew they were a great team and they were really an upcoming team it's amazing how good they got in such a short period of time you know being a new team in the league as well you know that was it was uh, impressive but then 
you know, the players they had, you know, when you're talking about Brunel, you're talking about Fred Taylor, you're talking about Keenan McCardle, you know what I mean? Even Jay Fiedler, we ended up taking him from them because he was playing really well against the, you know what I mean? So they had one help team and that defense was, was one of the best defense we've ever played against. Um, so we didn't think much about them, but they were definitely, obviously, somebody to deal with. There's a great – you talk about the Jacksonville defense, and this is probably in the 2000s at some stage. It was John Henderson. He, he, he must have been probably 320, but on the video I saw, he looks about 380, about 8 feet tall, where he has the equipment manager slap him across the face. Come on, John. you got to do better than that. i got to get blood in my mouth. Did you ever play with a guy that was, had that mentality, like just all go all the time? You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of those crazy defensive linemen are that way. You know, your 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 cling balls and you know what I mean, and guys like that are like they're really really ridiculous, man. I mean, he, I mean, we try to be divas, we try to be cute, you know what I mean. We try to make sure we're dressed right. Some of these other dudes, man, they don't care what the hell they're wearing. You know, they don't care how they look. They want to get beat up before. I see guys beating each other up on the sideline. I said, you guys might not, might not even play the game. You know, the way you're hitting each other, man, head butts. You know, slap. You know, smelling sauce. Man, please, these guys look like they're going into a heavyweight fight most of the time rather than going to play a football game. And, you know, us divas on the outside, man, we try to look as pretty as we can, stay as clean as we can, and look as good as we can. Yeah, I think that, you know, at some point in everyone's life, they realize, okay, I'm not going to make it to the bigs, I'm not going to make it to the NFL, I'm not going to make it to the NBA. And that was kind of a moment for me, like, okay, that guy is a different species than I am, so it's not going to work out for me. But we want to talk about this other game here real quick because, you know, Big Seth, as we like to call him around here, uh, Seth Levitt. He runs the Jason Taylor Foundation, so he knows the Dolphins Hall of Fame defensive end quite well. And it sort of seems like, you know, we're talking only L's in this podcast because we stay on this Monday night game. And you talked about Keenan McCardell juice. He caught two fourth quarter touchdowns in that game to come from behind and win by seven in that game. And to make matters worse for me, it comes off the hand. You mentioned Mark Brunel, a Washington Husky. Go Cougs. But the big story <laughs> from that game, Seth, was a little bit of trash talk between your boy JT and Tony Baselli. Yeah, there was a lot of that going on. And, and uh, you know, as JT, as everybody will tell you, those guys get paid too, especially the really good ones get paid a lot. And Tony was a great player for probably not as long as uh, I think everybody would have liked to have seen him play. But, um, you know, that that was definitely his night. Jason will be the first one to tell you. And I think he said that when Tony this, this last year when he was uh, made it into the room there for, for the Hall of Fame voting um, that uh, – you know, Tony gave him all he could give him and more, and and you know, and that that seemed to be his night. And you know, Fred Taylor had a couple big runs. He had one huge run. Uh, I know the first play of the game. I think it was 20, 30 seconds into the game. Yeah, I remember. I don't know why I was down on the sidelines. Someone must have been doing a pregame interview, Juice. But I was down there on the sidelines, and Fred came around that end. It must have been around the right side, and he. He ran by, and it sounded like I was standing on the, on the side of I-95 with trucks going by, the way he moved, and you could just feel him, and, and, and he just was flying by, and T-Buck was doing everything he could to catch him, but it wasn't going to happen. And, and so, so, but yeah, Tony, um, Tony was giving it to Jason pretty good. JT, especially at that point in his career, I think he liked to, he liked to talk to his opponents, and so, you know, he, he never wanted to let you know that you had the best of him, and I think they were going at it back and forth pretty good. And in that game, you also had a touchdown from running back Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And, you know, again, going back to my youth here a little bit, I saw that name and I was like, that doesn't seem right to me because I, I didn't know who he was at the time. And then I learned about him. I think he was, was he Dan's first and only 1,000-yard rusher? Is that Do I have that stat right? I believe that's correct. 
That's crazy. So when I know you, first for sure. I'm not sure about. I'm not sure if it was uh, the only one, but yeah, it seemed like that. Yeah, because he was so Kareem was yeah. uh, Jimmy's first year. He was drafted right, and so yeah. in '96 he had a thousand yards, and and uh, and you're right. I think that might have been like the first since yeah. Delvin Williams or somebody yeah. to get a thousand yards rushing. Um, Kareem was a good guy, a hard runner. Well, yeah. I was. I was always curious if maybe the, if some of the players might have had some kind of like you know it, did you guys rib him for that like the name like does did that ever come up at all Juice like you know obviously he's got a, a pretty a famous surname there. <laughs> no, we we didn't. You know, we I'd seen him. You know, when he was out at UCLA, I saw him going through college, man, and knew what kind of type of player he was, man, and you know, I mean, how good he was. Uh, and, and Kareem's just a, a really nice guy, man. You know, he's one of those guys that you would never rib because they're, they're too nice. It's, it's, it's pointless, you know. Some of the other guys, though, you know, some of those other guys, you give them the business because they're always trying to give the business out, man. But Kareem was such a super nice guy and, uh, you know, hard worker, you know. And it was just um, – I mean, it was just fun having that guy on our team, for one. But, you know, it was weird to see that he did have the same, you know, uh, name as Lou Alcindor. And, you know, and, and, you know, he, obviously we saw afterwards that Lou Alcindor actually was suiting for that, that last name. And he had to put like Abdul only on the back of his jersey or something like that. So it was kind of a, a wacky time we had Kareem. But what a great guy. What a great running back, man. If he could have stayed healthy and with us longer, you know, I think he would have been a he would have had a hell of a career with us as well. So he was a pretty serious guy, too, Juice. I mean, yeah. you know, he was pretty serious and his, his religion, his faith was was very important to him, which is why he, you know, he chose that name or. Or uh, I guess that name was chosen for him, right? Um, right, because a UCLA guy as well, and and uh, so so yeah, I don't remember people would clown him too much. But I well, uh, another reason that might have happened was, and you can talk to Joey Chimino about this. He'll probably uh, he'll shake his head, and, and the equipment manager. So Kareem's first game was a Dolphin. I think he had a hundred yard game as a rookie. And, you know, again, for years, the Dolphins were, were searching for this rushing, this running game and Kareem came out. And, and of course he had the, the name that drew attention and his name was spelled wrong on the back of his jersey. His first game his rookie year, it was spelled Adbul instead of Abdul. The D <laughs> and the B were transposed. And there was a picture of him celebrating and hugging someone, and it was on the Herald, and, and they had, you know, it was like wrong name, right game, or some, you know, some, some crazy headline. <laughs> and when they told him about it afterwards, he said it was disrespectful. And so the equipment guys, who nobody works harder in, in an entire football organization than the equipment guys those guys literally have the dirty work to do and they work around the clock and and what a great group of guys we had then with tony and joey and charlie but i remember that ad bull so if anybody got ribbed about the name it was the equipment guys who took a lot of, of crap for for that name being spelled wrong yeah, you can't get out on the jersey because then that's with them for the entire game, the entire day, and then you wind up in a headline. So, you, I got a funny story about that too because there was a there was a Sports Illustrated article one time or, or a big uh, a spread, and it was a photo of Brock Marion, and he was on top of his head, like picking up a fumble or picking off a pass. And my brother and I, we went through my my dad's Sports Illustrated magazines and cut out a bunch of photos of, of NFL players and put them up on the wall. And we saw the you know the thirty one, we saw the Marion, and he was upside down. And we registered that as Dan Marino because Marion Marino, 31-13. And it was like weeks later, we both were looking at it and go, who the hell is Marion? Because, you know, we were young. We didn't know who he was at the time. But uh, so just kind of a funny story there about, you know, some name changes. But um, I do want to spin this thing forward here and talk about some more Jacksonville games because, Juice, 
we know that you're a big time Dolphins fan in your post playing career as well. And I'm curious if you recall the 2003 game, it was at Jacksonville. So you probably weren't there obviously, but do you recall that play where uh, Jay Fiedler, I, I can't remember if it was a pitch or a handoff to Ricky running left and it gets kind of clogged up off the left side. So he has to reverse field backwards to the right and he's got one defender and the goal line with Jay Fiedler as his lead blocker, and Jay just wipes him out at the knees. Do you recall that play, Juice? <laughs> I don't. I don't remember that. Uh, too many hits, Travis. I, I do apologize. And being the biggest Dolph fan, you know, you think I would remember something like that, man. But uh, I, you know, Seth made a made a point of talking about when he heard Fred Taylor run by him. Listen to Ricky Williams run by you one time. So if I would have been there and, and, and saw that those those legs right there, man, what a beast of a runner he was. And, and so, yeah, I wish I did remember that. I do remember, you know, very few plays. I, if, let me tell you this, Travis. I don't remember a lot of plays that I played in myself. <laughs> so imagine me trying to remember, you know, <laughs> games I didn't play in. So it's a little rough sometimes. I apologize, brother. No, it's all good. I, I, wanted to, I was curious to kind of get a segue off that about Jay because we had Jay a couple weeks ago for the Patriots game, and he's talking about recall. He was busting out, you know, formations and who was lined up in the, in the play on a, a game that happened back in 2000. So it's funny how, you know, some players... They're not maybe, allowed to hit the quarterback. Yeah, they're protected. They're, they're protected. But Jay was yeah. one of those guys that he he would stick his head in there and, you know, dive headfirst into the end zone or, or throw a block on a defensive end off the outside. So I just want to hear, you know, maybe you've got a story for us, Juice, about Jay and maybe something that he did one time that kind of earned your respect is like, okay, this guy's not just a quarterback, he's a football player. Well, Jay was that. He was a football player. And, you know, and, and the way he ran, you know what I mean, in, in terms of uh, workouts, the way he lifted in the weight room, the way he was a leader, the way he got along with both sides of the, of the football. You know, Jay was that guy, man, that, you know, that some of the guys, you know, might have more talent one way or another, but you're not going to find a better teammate and a better leader. And, you know, I look back at some of the games, and, of course, everybody always was reflecting, you know, back to the, uh, you know, to the Oakland Raider game, with the you know fourth down the scramble and him getting into the end zone or we or the clock runs out on us not even fourth down but you know things like that but Jay was just that type of leader man and he ran it's so it's ironic you say that but I think Chan was our coordinator when I was playing with with Jay and he ran that thing to perfection you know and we had a, a really good connection a lot of times when I was able to get in there with the with the foot injury and everything else but I tell you man what a great leader he was and like I said anybody that gets along with both sides of the ball like Jay did. Those are the guys that you'll go to battle with. And Jay was that guy you always want to go to battle with. You mentioned the the Raiders game diving across the goal line that we kind of talked about there. I, when I did the flashback podcast with him, he had that poster was in his backdrop uh, on a window behind him. And I, I, I pointed it out after we got done recording the podcast. I say, I remember watching that game in my living room, losing my mind, Jay. That was awesome. And he goes, the only reason that's there is because I don't have a sunshade for that window. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really good. And, and that's Jay. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's funny, though, you bring that game up because when, when Jay was in the fish tank, he talked about that game. And, and to your point, Travis, a few plays earlier, he ran for a first down and slid. And he got a hit while he was going down. And really, you know, today probably would have been under the blue tent in concussion, concussion protocol. And uh, I forget who he said it was that was uh, was a Brett Perry or somebody that was trying to wave him off the field, and or maybe James McKnight. And he said he told him, don't you ever right. tell somebody to get me off this field. Now get back in the huddle and let's go run another play. And you can see he's he's doing the uh, – he's about to fall down, and, and somehow he kept going and – but Jay indicated, you know, a guy who comes up that way, 
Look, look, Travis, not everybody's a first-round draft pick like O.J. McDuffie, right? Oh, here so, we go. <laughs> <laughs> but so Jay, the guy who, I mean, he had to be out of football for a year and a half, and he was coaching at Hofstra and everything else. And so he indicated when he finally got a chance to get under center again, he was going to do everything he could to, to prevent anybody from taking that away from him again. It was, it was fun to watch him that way, too, because you definitely, you know, football kind of has that blue-collar mentality. You might hear teams or, you know, broadcasters talk about the Steelers are a blue-collar town. No, football's a blue-collar sport, and so when you see a player put his body on the line like that, you that resonates with you as a fan, and you can just appreciate that guy more. And I want to talk to you guys about the fish tank here as we get out of here for this edition of Drive Time, but Seth, I'm going to do it to you, man, because we talked about the Ricky Williams touchdown run. Oh, boy. You've talked about it on the Fish Tank podcast. I just, I, I got to ask you because that was, my, we, we talked about this. It was Ricky Williams for me and Ken Griffey Jr. growing up were the two guys that I looked, that I just thought were the best athletes I'd ever seen. And I come to find out years later after reading my newspaper, eating my Cheerios for breakfast one morning, reading that Ricky Williams had retired from football, crying into my Cheerios, I come to find out now that I'm friends with a guy that, that, that made him do it. <laughs> yep, yep. Wait, wait, you're co-signing way too quickly on this, Drew. <laughs> way too quickly. So listen, I'm getting a whole lot of credit here that I don't think I deserve, and I love to take credit for things. That being said, there were a lot of things going on in Ricky's life, you know, and he indicated that in the tank. He had a lot going on. Uh, there were some contractual issues. He was he had carried the ball and taken a lot of hits for two years here with the Dolphins and felt that perhaps his value was more than what they uh, were assessing it as. Um, we know that there, there were some recreational activities that he was involved in that, that maybe didn't fall in line with what the, the NFL rules were. So, so there's that piece as well. But the fact of the matter is I did, uh, after eight years of working through the team, I, I did accept a, a position from Jason to go run the foundation. And when I was going around saying bye to guys, particularly guys I was close with, like a Ricky, Ricky was the one the guy who said, to, you know, can, can I ask you why you're leaving? And I shared it with him. I just didn't know he was going to connect with it that way. You never know what somebody's going to connect yeah. with. So mm-hmm. I guess, you know, as I said earlier in the show here, that you learn as a PR guy to keep your mouth shut. Maybe that was one of those instances that I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I know Juice loves to give you a hard time for that, right, Juice? Man, it's, it's terrible, man. You know, I, I didn't realize it until we did the podcast that Seth was the reason we lost the best running back in Dolphin history. Wait, you know, man. and it's, I, I blame him whole wholeheartedly 100 percent Seth's fault he can try to blame Ricky and say Ricky had other things going on but you know what Seth gave him that final push you know what I mean that's that last push that got him into retirement nah the, the oh, Reggie Bush push I, over the I, goal I carried, that with me. I carried that with me for a long time because his eyes like lit up when I explained see it. yeah see see you that Travis like, his eyes lit up like and, damn and then, like a eureka maybe that's what I did something yeah, besides well, life and, and then football two weeks later he's calling me for Travis Miner's phone number and then Dave's <laughs> phone number and I was like oh no I don't know if this is a good thing but but you know from a football perspective, uh, it was devastating to so many and, and, and um, within the building and, and outside, and I get that. Um, but, you know, from the, the human side of things, this is a guy that spent, spent a lot of time working on himself and trying to find himself, and, and this is something that he felt he needed. And, and um, Man, you know, Seth, Seth, don't do that, man. He should have done that after football. He still had football left in him, man. Everybody finds himself after football. <laughs> but maybe he would have. Maybe he needed that, and he came back. Right. He had the wildcat. He had the 
wonderful moment. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm not going to be able to shake loose from this one, Travis. Yeah, we'll, we'll let I'm you off. I'm trying to get people to listen to the fish tank, not hate us. <laughs> well, we're going to let you off the hook here and talk about what you guys got coming in the pipe this week because you had Keith Sims on Tuesday's podcast, and uh, you guys want to talk about that episode a little bit, maybe what's coming up next for you? Yeah, Keith was great in the tank, man. You know, we had Richard Webb on already, and we just dropped Keith, as you know. Um, but he was so much fun to talk about, you know, the good old days and some of the stories that went along in that locker room, some Bruce Smith stories and playing with Webby and, you know, having Danny as a quarterback and, you know, just any and everything that you, you want to talk to Keith about, man. He's so knowledgeable about the game, you know. And, and uh, did I lose everybody? No, you're good. Okay. Yeah, he's so knowledgeable about the game, man. And so, you know, we talked about, you know, his RV, you know, what he what he does now, which is one of his, his, his great hobbies that he enjoys, man. And, you know, being a, you know, homeschooling, he's homeschooling his kids right now. So there's a lot of things about these guys after football that uh, that is very interesting. But Keith, when he and Richmond were drafted, you know, he talked about his draft story. It was very interesting. I mean, that, that draft story itself was 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 crazy. You know, and it's a lot of guys with these type of stories, man. But, you know, it doesn't matter what, how, where you get drafted. is where you go and, and making the most of it. And I think Keith did that for the most part. Yeah, the Fish Tank podcast with Keith Sims yeah. is now available for you guys wherever you get your podcast from. And, uh, Seth, I'll give you the final word here, man. Anything else you guys are working on coming in the pipeline? Oh, we've just got a lot of fun guys to talk to. We have another Keith that's uh, in, in queue. Keith, Keith Jackson will be coming up. Um, Todd Wade. Was you know you talk about another big guy in the line who I you know I think a lot of people think that, that these linemen are just big and quiet but Todd had some uh, <laughs> Todd was a lot of fun uh, he was going to show off some singing skills in the tank so uh, just uh, you know we, we uh, these these flashbacks are great Travis and you do a beautiful job with them and and that's certainly our wheelhouse we like to look back and 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 just be nostalgic and really again be narrative driven tell great stories. And hopefully give fans some insight on if they were hanging out with OJ and one of their other favorite players and some other guy they wish would shut up, what would that sound like all day? And, <laughs> and that's what happened when we dive into the fish tank. Yeah, I figured we couldn't do flashback without getting you guys on at one point. And you talk about those conversations. We did the the charity poker tournament the other night. Just hearing just hearing JT and Juice go back and forth, I was a fly <laughs> on the wall. I was barely wanting to play my pocket aces. I wanted to just hear that conversation, man. Hey, got to give Jason the business, man. Hey, you know, Travis, I've got to give the Hall of Famers the business. You know, if I don't give them the business, I can't give anybody else the business. You now, know? now, Juice, I, you're on that wall in that building I walk into every day, too, so don't sell yourself short there, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. All right. They are OJ McDuffie and Seth Levitt of the Fish Tank Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Fellows, thank you so much. A lot of fun to do this with you guys. Thanks for having us, Travis. Thank you, Travis. And just as I said I wasn't going to do it at the start of the show, I do it there again at the end of the show, getting them both talking over each other. But how good was that? Those guys have such rapport, such fun chemistry on the Fish Tank Podcast. You guys can find that again, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast as well as the Drive Time Podcast. And as for this edition of Flashback Thursday here, as we have a game tonight, Dolphins and Jaguars, go check out the preview podcast if you have not done so already as well as written content up on MiamiDolphins.com. Follow me on Twitter at WinkfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins and go ahead and leave us that rating and leave us that review. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. We will see you all tonight slash early this morning for a recap. Dolphins and Jags here on the Drive Time Podcast. Fins up.